Okay, so uh, I started with Luke. Uh, we started with Luke. It was either March or April of last year. And so every time I was teaching, we'd go through Luke. And if I was preaching, I would go through Luke. And so we hit something, at least a passage from every chapter. And this will be the last one. And there was a lot of jumping back and forth and all of that uh, throughout the book. So anyway, we're in chapter 22. Um, Just to remind you, I I used to put this chart up a lot when we got started. But just to kind of review it real quick, Luke, we can see it uh, divided into four different sections all introducing Christ as the Son of Man. So there's the introduction of the Son of Man in chapters 1 to 3, then 4 to 8 would be the ministry of the Son of Man, 9 to 10, the rejection of the Son of Man, and then chapters 19 to 24 it would be the crucifixion uh, and the resurrection of the Son of Man. So we, in being in chapter 22, are uh, th- this is the context of what's going on in these chapters. So... We are in chapter 22, beginning in verse 39, and we'll read to 46. And he came out, and he proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at that place, he said to them, Pray, that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, I think that's interesting, after the verse of being strengthened by the angel, being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So what's been happening in this chapter is that they've prepared and have taken the Passover. Uh, Judas has left to, to betray Jesus. He, Jesus has a conversation with Peter about the fact that he's going to deny, Peter will deny Christ. And then he goes to the garden with his disciples to pray. In verse 39, we have the phrase, as was his custom. When he, uh, and he came out, proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. I find it interesting that he's doing this, although I must confess, up until studying for this week is something that I just never paid much attention to. This was his custom, this is what he was doing, and he did this because it was simply his practice. In chapter 21, in verse 37, we read, Now during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening, he would go out and spend the night on the mount that is called Olivet. So this was a known practice of Jesus, yet he did not avoid going there despite what was awaiting him. In verse 6, we read, uh, starting in verse 3, And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve, and he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. 
They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. And then in verse 21, But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on this table. And then in verse 47, While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. So he does this. It's a, it, it is his practice to go here. It's known that he does that. He goes anyway, knowing what's waiting for him. You know, sometimes God's course for our life is straight into the storm. His will, verse 42. Your will be done. This is not an uncommon thing for the believer to also know. Go to Acts chapter 20. Paul is on his third missionary journey and here in chapter 20, beginning in verse 22, we read this. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So he's going back to Jerusalem, and in every city, the Holy Spirit is letting him know it's, it's not going to be a pleasant visit. And then in chapter 21 of Acts, beginning in verse 10, we read this. As he was staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he fell silent, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. And though this may be the case at times, it's never without the presence of the Lord. In Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, Teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And again, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Also staying, since you're in Acts, let's back up a little bit and go to chapter 7. Here, Stephen is, uh, is on trial. He's been preaching Christ, and the leadership is irate about it. 
He, in chapter 7, in verse 51, while he's on trial, he calls those that are accusing him stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard in ears. So they look great on the outside, but the inside is, is all twisted and messed up. And this being the most intense moment of the man's life, has to be. While he's standing there, in verse 54, we read this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They began gnashing their teeth at him. These are the same men that had, had executed, basically executed Christ. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And how did that affect him? Well, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. Now, what's the outcome of him seeing Christ, knowing the presence of the Lord as he goes through this storm? When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the, witness, the witnesses laid aside the robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I think that's interesting. You know, we, he sees Jesus, and then as he speaks, we hear the words of Christ. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. He, he sees the Lord. He, and he's reminded, I think it's interesting too, that you know, the position that he sees the Lord in, we know from Hebrews that Jesus sits at the right hand. And here he's standing. Well, it's been observed that Stephen is standing at this moment because that's the position of the accused in this, in this situation. The accused stands before the accusers. And at this moment, this intense moment, this storm in his life, he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus standing. It's, in my mind, as though he were saying, I've got this. And this is the... I guess this is what I'm trying to get at. When it's the Lord's will for us to go into the storm, we, we are enabled for that. When it's the Lord's will for us to go into the storm, we can go straight into the storm because He has gone ahead of us. Hudson Taylor said it like this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's provision. In our podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed uh, Davina and Nathan McCall, Charlie's oldest son and his wife. And uh, those of you who know them, you know that they've gone through some tough stuff lately where they've lost two children. Uh, one was uh, carried full term and uh, born knowing that she's going to die. And, and, she, and so they had to go through that, and then immediately after that, uh, another child dying in, in the womb. And this was a very, very dark time for them to walk through. It's still dealing with it. And they, in the interview, if you haven't listened to it, I encourage you to listen to it. it, it because 
what I found in this interview is really one of the, it was not a simple interview. You know, because there was no, you know, there was no happy ending. And we're uncomfortable with that. I am. We think, well, if I obey the Lord, then everything will be okay. We, my problem is I keep thinking this life I'm living is all about me. And so God's going to be all about me. <laughs> and that is, that is twisted. That's not right. That's, and the Lord's faithful to remind me of that. <laughs> and so Nathan and Davina simply said this, this is what we found. As we are going through this dark time in our life, through this storm of life, he is there. And that doesn't mean that we're happy. It doesn't mean that pain has been taken away. But he's there. And then they went on and said this, knowing that he's there leaves them to think, how could anybody who doesn't know Jesus go through something like this? Going into the storm, that, that, that may be the course that the Lord has for us. And at times, it will be. Any thoughts with that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great observation. Yes. Um, you said there's no happy ending, but there really is. Yeah. I mean, Second Corinthians four seventeen for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all. Yeah, and and with that, I, I think that's something that we need to encourage each other with too to be eternally minded. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I agree, yeah. I could go off a long time on that, but I'm not going to. Anybody else?
So, yeah, go ahead. So how does Jesus go into this storm? How does he lead going into this storm? What does he encourage from them in going into this storm? Verses 40 and 46, he says this, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He repeats this, this phrase twice. So this is really important. Now, twice in our study of Luke, we've talked about prayer. So let's do just a real quick review. From Luke 18 and verse 1, so just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this, and uh, just verse 1 reads like this. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. And when we were looking at that passage, we looked at this quote from E. Stanley Jones. He says, prayer is surrender, surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. If I throw out a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to the will of God. And then when we were in Luke chapter 11, again, certainly looking at prayer there when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And in verse 2 of chapter 11, we read, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And when we were there, we looked at... um, Uh, A comment from Wearsby who said this, It has well been said that the purpose of prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Prayer is not telling God what we want and then selfishly enjoying it. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what He wants so that His name is glorified, His kingdom is extended and strengthened, and His will is done. I must test all of my personal requests by these overruling concerns if I expect God to hear and to answer my prayers. Prayer should be a time whereby I come in line with God. I come in line with His will. The necessity of prayer by Jesus is is seen throughout the book of Luke. And... uh, in chapter 3, we see him praying at the time of his, of his baptism. In chapter 6, in the choosing of the twelve. In chapter 5, when he was alone. In chapter 9, when he was in public. In this chapter, in verse 32, he's praying for Simon Peter, who he knows is going to betray him. And then, After these particular verses we're looking at, we'll find that Jesus prays in verse 46 of 23 when he's on the cross. There's other accounts throughout the New Testament of Jesus praying. 
uh, just to name some, at the beginning of his ministry in a quiet place in Mark chapter 1, before he raises Lazarus from the dead in John 11, and then in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7, which I believe and, and, and some others believe is, is a, another account of this very, these, these verses we're looking at today, where Jesus is praying. And there, it, the wording of it is really interesting. It's, he prays that he would be, I'm not going to, I'm going to read it. I'm pretty sure I can do it right, but I'm not 100% confident. In chapter 5, it says this in verse 7 of chapter 5 of Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. He prayed that he be saved from death. That grabbed my attention, so I started to dig into it some. There's, there's two words from the Greek that we translate into from. And one means uh, to, to save from. So say, like, this is the line here. I'm in, this is, this is life, and past this line is death. So his prayer is that he be saved from crossing that line. But that's not the word. The word that he, that's used here means out from within. So he's praying, save me from, save me out from within death. And he was heard. He's coming in line at this time with what he knows to be God's will. And he's praying according to that will. We see in this passage both Jesus and the disciples are coming into a time of facing temptation, a storm. And Jesus gives instruction and example as to how they are to go through it. So how? Well, he, pray, he says pray. And look how many times he repeats the word in verse 40, in verse 41, in verse 44, in verse 45, and in verse 46. Pray. I appreciate it when people will repeat themselves because I have a tendency to daydream. And he is certainly repeating himself. Pray. Pray. Well, they're facing a storm. Christ will face his. The disciples will face theirs. What was Christ facing? First of all, that he must die. In verses 1 to 20 of this chapter, uh, it's, it's covering the Passover, the preparation for the Passover, and then the taking of the Passover. In verse 2, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death. And then in verse 15, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then in verse 19, and when he had said, when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in verse 20, and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the Passover. 
You know, that something that, that they've been celebrating for generations, and now they're up on the, the very edge of it. This is about to happen. He must die, and this is what he's facing. Also, he's facing this, that he must abide in his Father's will. In verse 42, the familiar verse, Yet not my will but yours be done. Well, what is the Father's will? In verse 22, Jesus says, For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. In verse 51, But Jesus answered and He said, Stop! No more of this. This is when the disciples have pulled the swords out, the two swords, and they're going to defend God. And... He tells them, stop. No more of this. We're going straight into the storm. And then in verse 70, when he's on trial, and they ask him the question, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. And there's so much that we could get into with that, but... Then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. He's going straight into the storm. I think just a, a real quick observation in verse 44. And, and again, there's another verse. There's so much we could talk about with this. But I want to point out just something that was just brought to my attention just yesterday in reading through this, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and, he, and his sweat became like drops of blood. He's sweating. This is the agony. He's sweating. But look, in verse 54, after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard... He's sweating the same night they're lighting a fire, and we know from the gospel, the other gospels, that they were lighting the fire because it was cold. I, I cannot begin to imagine what Jesus is going through. This agony, I, I cannot begin to grasp this. But he's going straight into the storm. Now, that's what he's facing. What about Peter and the disciples? What are they facing? In verse 45, we read this. They were sleeping from sorrow, which means grief, grudgingly, a heaviness, a distress. And as I was reading that, I was reminded of personal experience. You know, uh, those of you who know that we spent just recently six years in Louisiana going back to help the family with my dad and his illness and ended up, you know, mom being in bad shape too. There were times during those six years where I was so distressed. There was such a heaviness that all I wanted to do was go to sleep. All I wanted to do was just, I was fighting that temptation to just shut down and just escape what I was having to face, what I had to deal with. And I can tell you that that is not a good place to be. 
I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. And that's where these men are. They've been, they've, been, they've been with Jesus. Everything has fallen apart in a matter of days. There's got to be confusion. And then he's talking about you know, this Passover, and this is his blood, this is his flesh. They're, something's not right, and they are, they are very heavy. They are very distressed with what's going on. And so they, it appears they just shut down. But Jesus said, pray. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. See, this is not what they're wanting. I'm sorry, I've got you going there too soon, but go ahead and do it. Hold your finger, we'll be there. So the first thing there that I see is in verse 45, they're having to face that storm of sorrow. But then the second thing I'm seeing is that they had to fight against the Lord's will. Are they fighting? That's the storm. Fighting against. That's the temptation. Fighting against the Lord's will in verses 49 and 50. And here, back in our passage, 49 and 50, when those who were around him saw that, uh, saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? First First response of mine is like, wow, good thing to do. Ask the Lord. And then one of them, we know who it was, Peter, struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And we make jokes about that, but really think about this. This is getting out of hand. But Jesus answered and said, stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Fighting against the Lord's will. First, Lord, what should we do? Should we, should we fight? You know, sometimes our asking is nothing more than just fleshly religious exercise. Something to do to make us feel better about moving in our own desires and will for what we deem to be right. Well, from what I, have, what I have found is that we have to look at it within the context of what he's saying up there. And basically, it looks like, to me, he's, in verse 37, he says, for I, first he says, you know, if you don't have a sword, buy one, for I tell you, that this is verse 37, that this which is written must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And when he tells him in verse 38, two swords is enough, I think what's going on within the context there is he's saying two, two swords is enough for me to be numbered among the transgressors. But when we get down here, He's saying, don't fight against the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. And so with this fighting against the Lord, you know, sometimes we have these long... I, I remember one time coming out of Bible college, uh, 
and uh, being on staff, I was an associate pastor, sitting in a leadership meeting. So there was this, we were sitting at a big table with a lot of people. We walked in, sat down, and the agenda was passed out, and we started to discuss all the issues that we were facing as a body, and then how to handle these things. And this was like an hour, an hour and a half meeting discussing all these problems, how we're going to handle these things, and then getting organized about it. And then after we're done with all this, I remember uh, one of the men that was leading the meeting said, all right, this is what we feel like we need to be doing, now let's, let's pray. And that was the first time we prayed in the whole meeting. And I remember as a young man, and when you're a young man out of Bible college, you've got it all figured out. You really do. And then you find out this is when the education starts. I can't tell you how many times I thought, they didn't teach me this. <laughs> and, but that did kind of prick me a little bit. That bothered me. Why are we praying now? The passage in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient, parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness or a form of religion, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Then go to, same, same book, go to chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And then in the book of Luke, chapter 6, and verse 46, Jesus is pointing out something. That, you know, just the, the right words is, is not... It's not the, the beginning or the end of something. <laughs> but it's the words from the right heart that matter. And so anyway, in chapter 6, verse 46, we read this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 49, but the one who has heard, that's the key thing here, the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation and the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Lord, would you have us fight? And then they start fighting. Not knowing that, you know, what the Lord would say or had to say. And then, finally, pray that you may not enter into temptation, verses 40 and 46. One more thing that Peter had to face. 
and that would be the storm of denying Jesus. And we know from verse 34 that Jesus says, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. And then in verses 54 to 62, we see that Jesus denies him three times. And he's more emphatic with each case. But it ends in verse 62. And he went out and he wept bitterly. The word bitterly, he wept violently with agony, mental agony. He is undone. He is destroyed. The man who does not start with prayer is the man who will be found overcome by the storm. Jesus says, we're going into a storm. Pray. But he doesn't pray, he sleeps. Because he's overcome with what he's facing. And now we find that he's destroyed, he's undone. This is our plight apart from Christ. John 15, 5, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. He said to them, pray. In other words, come in line with the Lord. Agree with him. And then he demonstrates it. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Bring me out from within, according to Hebrews. Tozer says this, Prayer, at its best, is the expression of the total life. All things else being equal, our prayers are only as powerful as our lives. Most of us, in moments of stress, have wished that we had lived so that prayer would not be so unnatural to us and have regretted that we had not cultivated prayer to the point where it would be as easy and as natural as breath or breathing. Undoubtedly, the, re the redemption in Christ Jesus has sufficient moral power to enable us to live in a state of purity and love where our whole life will be a prayer. Individual acts of prayer that spring out of that kind of total living will have about them a wondrous power not known to the careless are the worldly Christian. I didn't remember this, but had a, an alumni recently remind me of something that happened between she and I. I. Was sitting in my office at his hill, and she walks in with a problem. She says, Kelly, can we talk? I said, sure, sit down. She started to tell me what her problem was. And the Lord, I would not remember this if she had not reminded me just recently. And the Lord just worked in my heart as she was talking, and, and I just asked her, have you prayed about this? And that, that's not a question that I often ask. I should. <laughs> but I asked her, have you prayed about this? And she looked at me. She goes, no, I haven't. I said, okay. Well, why don't you go be with the Lord for a while? And then come back and see me. So she was gone for a while. 
And later in the day, she showed up in my, at my office again, standing in the door, and she says, Hey, Kelly, I just want you to know that I've been spending some time with the Lord just praying. Thanks for encouraging me to do that, because that's, that's exactly where I needed to be. And then she goes, I'm ready to say, okay, come on, sit down. She says, so I want you to know I don't need to talk to you anymore. <laughs> and she turned around and walked off. He said to them, pray. Are we praying? Any thoughts? You're going to say certainly those of us who don't sin. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if we find our Savior praying, should we not be found the same? Anything else? Yeah. Can everybody hear? Okay, I'm going to want people to hear you. All right. Um, so we began preparing for, uh, praying for him. We pray for him every night. Every night we pray for him. We ask the Lord to heal him. And I go to this, these verses in John, the, the uh, 14th chapter. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And then you go to this chapter 15, starting with verse 7. This is two times in a row. This is Jesus, the same thing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and, I, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So I, 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 you know, I talked to the Lord about this. I, I felt that I had grounds to pray for him, that God would heal him. We continue to pray for him. And a couple of weeks ago, maybe three or four weeks ago, I came to the point where I need to submit my will to the Father's will. But I continue to pray my will. But I continue to submit to the Father's will. 
Um, these verses have had a powerful impression in my life. These two verses that I read. Thank you. Okay. Well, let's let's end with prayer. Okay. Um, I'm going to scoot out real quick because I've got to get the music together. So uh, forgive me for that. Next week, uh, Jack takes over and he's going to take us into a study of Ruth. So if you want to be prepared, you can go ahead and read. Um, so let's, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Mark, would you lead us in prayer?